0: Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. And coming up, lots to get to on this episode of Eye on the Enemy. I'm going to give you my list of ten bold, overly optimistic predictions for the 2022 Eagle season. I will freely admit that there is not a there's not a negative prediction in the bunch, and I'll give you the ten bold predictions that I have for this year. I'm going to also, as we look around the league and keep an eye on the enemy, um, the Deshaun Watson suspension news came down this week. I'll give you some reaction to that. Also, an Eagles trade rumor revolving a different Cleveland Brown. And I'm going to talk to Ed Valentine from the Giants SB Nation site Big Blue View for a preview of the Giants here in 2022. We'll do all that coming up here on this edition of Eye on the Enemy. But let's, before we do anything, let's go around the NFL and get you some of the headlines from this past week. And, of course, the big news is the fact that the NFL and the Players Association agreed to a settlement in the Deshaun Watson disciplinary uh, situation, uh, agreeing that uh, Watson will serve an 11-game suspension without pay this year. Uh, of course, we all know the controversy that has surrounded him, some of the disgusting allegations that have been thrown at him, accused by more than two dozen women of sexual misconduct during massage sessions. Um, I know most of you listening understand exactly what it is he is accused of doing. I'm not going to get into it here on this podcast other than to say it's just Awful and disgusting and horrific. But Watson will also pay a fine of $5 million and he'll have to undergo mandatory evaluation by behavioral experts and follow their suggested treatment program. And that's where this kind of gets a little fuzzy here because after the suspension was announced, Deshaun Watson released a statement essentially saying that he apologized to the people affected meeting the people with the Cleveland Browns organization. He said, I'm grateful that the disciplinary process has ended and extremely appreciative of the tremendous support I've received throughout my short time with the Browns. I apologize once again for any pain this situation has caused. I take accountability for the decisions I made. My focus going forward is on working to become the best version of myself on and off the field and supporting my teammates however possible while I'm away from the team. I'm excited about what the future holds for me in Cleveland. He then later met with the media and maintained his innocence. He said, I'll continue to stand on my innocence, just because, you know, settlements and things like that happen, doesn't mean that a person is guilty for anything. I feel like a person has an opportunity to stand on his innocence and prove that, and we proved that from a legal side, and just going to continue to push forward as an individual, as a person. And then Watson also said that he wants to tell his story, uh, side of the story someday. He said, uh, I feel like Through the whole process, I've been trying to tell my side of the story, but a lot of people just didn't pay a lot of attention to it. And then he was asked about that apology in the statement and whether or not that squares with past comments. And he said, for everyone, you know, who are you apologizing to? And he said, for everyone that was affected by this situation, there were a lot of people that were triggered, he said. And then he added that he has apologized to all women, so anybody that was affected. But, I mean, clearly this is... the, the I'm not, you know, you hope that the counseling that he gets will wake him up. But this is this is just an awful situation for a fan if you're a Cleveland Brown fan, this is this is just awful. And this is why I didn't want the Eagles to have any part of the Deshaun Watson trade rumors. Because one of the things that for me anyway, as a fan, as I'm rooting for a team to win a championship. To me, if I know I'm rooting for for someone who has done a lot of really awful things or if I'm rooting for a team with a lot of people that I perceive to be bad guys or guys that are just difficult to root for or I you know, for me it's also if the rest of the league kind of paints my team and some of my players as the villain, it's not as satisfying for me if if they win it all. You know, it it's something that when your team went to championship, you want it to kind of just be like a joyful thing, like like Super Bowl Fifty Two, like the Nick Foles story, like beating Tom Brady. Just how there, there's no one outside of Patriots fans who feels bad about that. There's just so many great things that about that. So we can look back on that, and there's just nothing. There, there's no gray cloud over it, you know. There's no there's no black mark over it. There's nothing that you have to say. Yeah, but we had to kind of swallow that. We had to kind of we had to kind of push that to the side to enjoy it. And if the Cleveland Browns. This sad sack franchise that has gone forever without an NFL title, has never been to a Super Bowl, one of the few teams in the NFL that has never been to a Super Bowl, if they get there with Deshaun Watson leading them, provided he doesn't give them some kind of, he doesn't undergo some kind of redemption. And I'm not saying a guy like Deshaun Watson can't be redeemed, that he can't learn from mistakes, but there's got to be an honest assessment of your behavior and an honest attempt to try and makes it make the situation right to reach out I feel like that's I felt this way when the Eagles first signed Michael Vick and then as the years went on and, and Michael Vick was here you could see I thought anyway a changed man someone who was who was deeply sorry for for what he did and actively worked to make things better and that doesn't mean that anyone who was deeply affected negatively by what Michael Vick did with the dog fighting and just couldn't ever let it go and I I have I understand that position. I, I understand that totally. And there's, I, I think what Deshaun Watson has done is is on at level, if not worse. And anybody who just could never forgive Deshaun Watson for this, I totally understand that, and I totally accept that. And if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, there's probably a lot of them like that. I, I don't think this is an apples to apples with what happened with with Michael Vick, especially because you're seeing with Deshaun Watson, he's. I don't think he thinks he's done anything wrong. I think he's sorry for the situation that came out of it and and that it's costing him games and that it could cost the Cleveland Browns victories here in 2022. This, this, this just, it's just an ugly event. It's an, it's an ugly scene in Cleveland. It makes you not want to root for Cleveland to... To get off the Schneid, to get the Super Bowl, I think Cleveland has always been one of those teams that I've kind of rooted for because I, I have a a soft spot in my heart for the sad sack franchises. Like this year, I'm really rooting for the Detroit Lions. I want to see them get in the Super Bowl. I, if it's not the Eagles, you know, I want to see, I want to see the franchises that have always had a hard time have success. That's why I was always I've always been kind of a Cardinals fan, especially once they left the NFC East. I've always been kind of a Cardinals fan because they've never won a Super Bowl. All these teams that have never won a Super Bowl, I kind of get on board with them. If the Eagles can't do it, I'd like to see it be one of those teams, especially now that the Eagles have won their Super Bowl. But you just can't do that with the Cleveland Browns, and I'm I'm just glad that the Eagles did not bring a guy like Deshaun Watson into the fold, so that we had to so that we had to deal with this. That so we can you imagine? Can you imagine going through this as an Eagles fan this past week and over these last few weeks? Can you can I I just I don't want to imagine it. And as uncertain as I am about Jalen Hurts and his ability and his future, I know that rooting for Jalen Hurts is a whole lot easier and a whole lot more fun. And I will enjoy the success that Jalen Hurts has whatever it is. And I know that I personally, and again, I'm just speaking for myself, I personally would have a hard time rooting for Deshaun Watson's success in an Eagles uniform. It would be very difficult for me. And I I imagine it's going to be difficult for a lot of Cleveland Browns fans. So that's the latest on the Deshaun Watson. And I think it's a, I think it's a good thing. The Eagles didn't travel down that road. I mean, it didn't seem like Deshaun Watson ever wanted to play here. And my concern is that if he did, the Eagles actually would have pulled the trigger because it certainly did seem like they were interested in him as a player. So I don't know. It's, I don't know if they would have done the deal if he had decided to come here, but I'm glad the Eagles did not do what the Cleveland Browns did. Now, Jimmy Kemski, of course, from uh, from uh, BGN Radio, uh, wrote a piece for the Philly Voice this week, uh, talking about. Actually, it was out here on uh, Friday. Why the Eagles should trade for Browns running back Kareem Hunt, and I think this is still the one area of the team where the Eagles could add somebody from the outside. You've got a guy in Miles Sanders who has a ton of talent. He's clearly the number one running back on this team, but he's injury prone. You can't rely on him to start all seventeen games and you've got a guy in Kenny Gainwell who looked pretty good as a receiver out of the backfield last year, but by all accounts is not having a good camp. Boston Scott right now looks like the second best running back on this team. It probably would do them well to bring somebody else in. And so the guy that Jimmy Kemsky is, is taking a look at is a guy who also has a checkered past, but a guy who also wants to be traded from Cleveland. And that is Kareem Hunt. And really the skill set that he brings would be a perfect fit. So, You bring in Miles Sanders, he's kind of the explosive guy he has in his rookie season shown an ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. We'll see if that can be recaptured. Gainwell, you really thought in his second year would take a step up, and and maybe he still will, but... So far in training camp, again, it doesn't look like he's done that. And then in Boston, Scott, he really does seem to be kind of a third running back. Uh, and then you've got Jason Huntley and Kennedy Brooks, who are your fourth and fifth running backs. And so Hunt is a bigger running back. He's kind of that, he'd be in the mold of the, the, the Jordan Howard that the Eagles had last year. Um, he has put up big seasons in, in the in the past. Uh, he had 1,327 rushing yards in his rookie season back in 2017. Um he, uh, he racked up over 1,200 yards from scrimmage, 14 total touchdowns in 11 games, uh, back in 2018 with the, uh, with the Chiefs. But that was, that was when the video came out of him assaulting a woman. I think it was in an elevator or in a hotel elevator. And that's just, again, I'm, I'm not anxious to trade for a guy like that. I, I would probably still rather roll the dice, uh, with, with what the Eagles have than, than bring a guy like him on board. And, um, it would make sense from a football standpoint. Uh, and But for me, his past, I, I think, negates it for me. I, I wouldn't bring him in. Um, would he make the Eagles better in 2022? Yes. I also think it's uh, fair to watch and wait and see who else might shake out here as far as training camp cuts uh, once, the, once all of the cuts are made. Before we get to Ed Valentine, let me give you my 10 bold, overly optimistic Eagles predictions for 2022. I wrote about this. This week for Bleeding Green Nation, so you can read this more in depth if you haven't already. Now, I will freely admit, every year when I do these, I try to come up with like two or three negative bold predictions because I realize that not every season is going to go perfectly. No season is going to go perfectly. Even the Eagles Super Bowl season didn't go perfectly. The Heck, the team lost their franchise quarterback in Week 13 with a torn ACL, and the guy's never been the same since. And they, But they, they managed to win the Super Bowl. But stuff happens. You lose players for the season. The Eagles are going to lose a couple of starters for the season this year, probably. They're going to lose starters for extended periods of time. Things are going to happen. But I just couldn't predict any of those things this time around because I really do have good vibes about this Eagles team. I think that they look really solid on paper. The biggest question mark is the quarterback everywhere else. I really like what they have. And I think the rest of the roster... The rising tide is going to lift the Jalen Hurts boat, and I think he's going to do better this year simply because he has better players around him. So that is why my first bold prediction is that the Eagles passing offense finishes in the top five in passing efficiency. Did you know that even with all of Hurts' issues last year throwing the football, they were still ranked 14th in DVOA? And that was with Jalen Rager there for a whole season as your number two. Devontae Smith in his rookie season. Quez Watkins in his first full year. A rookie head coach who had to drastically change the game plan in his quarterback's first full season running the offense. Now you've got A.J. Brown. You've got Smith. You've got Quez Watkins. You've got Zach Pascal, who's looked really good in training camp. Dallas Goddard's there. And you've got another full year of Hurts working with the same coaching staff. I think that's big. I don't think that's being talked about nearly enough. I'm not sold on Jalen Hurts. As the guy, but what you want like, is what the Eagles had with Andy Reid and Donovan McNabb and uh, Brad Childress for a number of years and then Marty Mornenrig for a number of years is you have consistency with the offensive coaching staff and the quarterback. No matter wh- how good or t- bad talent-wise the quarterback might be, that is always going to help. Top five is a bold prediction. It's probably more likely they are top ten But it would not be a bold prediction if I said top 10, so I went top 5 in passing DVOA by the end of the year. Bold prediction number 2, Jordan Davis wins Defensive Rookie of the Year. I mean, you saw him against the Jets. I'm very curious to see what he's going to look like against the Browns in this next preseason game. But they were triple-teaming him. And in some cases, quadruple-teaming him. Double-teaming him with starting offensive linemen. Connor McGovern and Lakin Tomlinson have 171 combined NFL starts and they they had to double team him and he and, and Jordan Davis was still m- getting penetration. He's going to be, he may, he's not going to put up the counting stats that Micah Parsons did last year, but I think he's going to make just as big an impact and win defensive rookie of the year. AJ Brown will lead all Eagles receivers with 12 touchdowns. Uh, let's see, he had 11 in 2020 with the Titans. I think he was on pace for 12 last year if he hadn't gotten hurt. So, I think, the, I think he's going to be a big weapon with his size inside the 20, and I've got him hauling in 12 or more touchdowns here in 2022. Now, this, this next prediction is definitely overly optimistic. I think Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown will both go over 1,000 yards receiving. Now, no Eagles receiver, no single Eagles receiver, has gone over 1,000 yards receiving since Jeremy Macklin went thirteen eighteen in 2014. 1,318 yards that year. So, sure it's overly optimistic and bold that the Eagles would have two receivers in the same season, considering they've never done it in franchise history. But that's why it's a bold prediction. And I predict Smith and Brown will do it. Miles Sanders will finish with over 1,000 total yards combined from scrimmage. He did that in his rookie season. I think he's a guy who could clear 1,000 yards rushing, especially if the Eagles run the ball and they don't go out and they sign a Jordan Howard replacement. I think it's going to mean more touches for Miles Sanders. I think either way, he gets over 1,000 yards from scrimmage this year, and it could be over 1,000 yards rushing. But I think we're going to see Miles Sanders have the best season of his career, especially in a contract year. Another bold prediction, Jalen Hurts will join the 3,750-plus passing yard and 500-plus rushing yard club. I'm you, you have to increase the passing numbers because I've already said that I think he's going to go over 1,000 yards with Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, and I think Quez Watkins will get some, Pascal will get some, Goddard will get some, and the running backs will get some. I do think over 4,000 yards and... Uh, 750 rushing yards is, mu- is, is a little bit too much. He had more than 750 rushing yards last year. If we think he's going to go 4,750, the only player in NFL history to do that is Josh Allen. He did that last year. If you want to bring down the rushing yards and say the 4,500 club, only five players have ever done that. So I think both of those are insane. And I don't want you guys to think I'm insane. So <laughs> I'm going with 3,750 passing yards and 500 rushing yards. A feat still rare that only 11 quarterbacks in NFL history have ever done that. And you can see the list in my article. Uh, one eagle on that list, Randall Cunningham, way back in 1988. I think at least one linebacker makes the Pro Bowl. Who will it be? Will it be Kaiser White? Will it be Nikobe Dean? Both look great against the Jets. Will it be TJ Edwards, who's the steady as a rock guy? Are you going to consider Hassan Reddick a linebacker or a defensive, a defensive end? It could end up being Hassan Reddick. At, from the linebacker position. But I, I, I know I like Kaiser White or N'Kobe Dean. And I think it's more likely to be Kaiser White because um, I, I think he's a little bit more ready to play uh, than Nicobe Dean, although Dean did look good against the Jets. I think Hassan Redick will notch 12 or more sacks. Last year, Reddick tallied 11 sacks. He had 12 and a half the year before. So I know this doesn't, that doesn't sound like this would be a tremendously bold prediction, but think about it. Only one Eagle defender has had at least 10 sacks in a season since Cox put up 10 and a half in 2015 and no one has reached 12 sacks since Connor Barwin's 14 and a half in 2014 so i still think predicting 12 for reddick especially in an eagles uniform feels pretty bold to me i think the defense will finish top 5 in takeaways this year Last season, Gannon's conservative defense had just 16 takeaways in 17 games. 12 interceptions, 4 fumbles. Only 4 teams had fewer. But now you've got James Bradbury back there with Darius Slay and Avanti Maddox. I know the safety position still has to be ironed out, but I think you're going to see a big jump in interceptions. I think these linebackers are going to make plays, guys. It's going to be incredible watching a linebacking core make plays, interceptions, forced fumbles, forcing QBs into making mistakes. I think Jordan Davis is going to help make QBs throw more picks by getting in their faces. I think you're going to see a big jump up the leaderboards for the Eagles' defense in terms of takeaways. And then my final bold prediction, I think this Eagles team is good enough to advance to the NFC Championship game. I'm not saying they win it and get to the Super Bowl, but I think with this wide-open NFC, the Eagles are going to advance to the NFC Championship game. The Cowboys subtracted more than they added this offseason, so I think the Eagles are winning the division. The Packers' offense I think it's going to take a step back without DeVonte Adams. I don't think you can undercut the the offseason um controversy the Buccaneers had with the retirement of Bruce Arians and then the unretirement of Tom Brady and some of the did Tom Brady force out Arians and all this other stuff going on. The 49ers have a good roster, but they have a brand new unproven quarterback, and then Russell Wilson is gone. There's no Seahawks that you have to worry about. And when you look at the Rams, it's really hard to repeat as Super Bowl champions. So there's no, I I think the Rams take a little bit of a step back, simply because that's what we usually see from Super Bowl champions, not named the New England Patriots. So it's all there for the Eagles to make a deep playoff run and win a couple of playoff games. I predict the Eagles will at least make it to the NFC title game this season. If not, go further. So yes, I'm feeling overly optimistic, and I get it. Those are 10 really overly optimistic and bold Eagles predictions for the 2022 season. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Ed Valentine of SB Nation's Giants site Big Blue View, and we'll get his take on what he has seen at Giants training camp during the course of the summer and preview the 2022 season. We'll do that coming up next here on Eye on the Enemy. Well, we're going to be taking a look now at our enemy up north, and of course, we're talking about the New York Giants, uh, the only enemy we have uh, above us right now here, as uh, you folks are listening in Philadelphia, and the New York Giants, of course, most people have them picked to finish last in the NFC East, but uh, a regime change in New York with Brian Dable coming aboard, uh, replacing Joe Judge, has Giants fans, I think, a little more optimistic than they have been in recent seasons, and of course, Dave Gettleman is no longer there. So, joining me to talk about what training camp has been like uh, covering the New York Giants, and where that team stands heading into 2022 is Ed Valentine. He's writer and podcast host for Big Blue View, the SB Nation New York Giants site. You can follow him on Twitter at Valentine underscore Ed. Good friend of the podcast. Ed Valentine, welcome back to Eye on the Enemy. How
1: are you, buddy? Good, John. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. And uh, here we go again with another uh, with another NFL season. That's right. I mean, we are getting closer every single day,
0: and. Uh, I don't know what the vibes are up there in New York because I know expectations are are not that this is a playoff team, right? I mean, nobody nobody's expecting the Giants to really surprise anyone. But I would imagine that there has to be a little bit more positivity because the Giants this offseason went and they brought in some very smart people from an organization in Buffalo that has completely done – a 180 over these last few years it's now a juggernaut and they're hoping for the same kind of turnaround now Uh did they say downstate in New York I mean it's not upstate so you know <laughs> closer to the Big Apple I guess that'd a better way to put it um, so just what are the vibes right now among Giants fans among your readers over there at Big Blue View uh, with this new regime in place
1: well John it's very interesting SB Nation does a uh, a poll called SB Nation reacts and the the last poll that w- that came out was, you know, are you confident in the direction of your team? Hmm. And believe it or not, 95% of those who voted in that poll said they were confident in the direction of the team.
0: Wow. Now, now, I, now I, I, I get feeling good, but that number surprises me.
1: It surprised me, too. And now that, to me, that's a long-term, long-range you know, feel good, feel optimistic. That is Dave Gettleman is gone. Joe Judge is gone. Pat Shermer is gone. Um, and as you said, there are smart people in charge now. Joe Shane, I think, was a terrific hire as a GM. He brought in Brian Dable, who d- absolutely deserves an opportunity to be an NFL head coach. And, and those guys are pretty much, you know, teams use the phrase, you know, they're joined at the hip. These guys have the same philosophy in a lot of ways. They came from the same place. I think a lot of the, the optimism from Giants fans regards the front office and the head coach, not necessarily the roster, the quarterback, and how that team will do in 2022. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and I think they have the advantage of hitting the ground running because, like you mentioned, they both are coming from the same place at the same time. So it's not a situation where you have an existing general manager hiring a coach from another organization where it takes time to get to know each other, maybe... Even though you've hired this guy, maybe your philosophies don't exactly line up. They don't exactly mesh. But these guys have been working together as a team, having a lot of success in Buffalo. And now they come together at the same time to put into place, I would imagine, the practices that they started in Buffalo and see if they're going to work here in New York. You don't You don't have this... The situation where you might have the head coach and the GM butting heads or there being friction or misunderstanding because these guys have been working together for so long. And I, I got to imagine you're talking you if you want consistency in an organization, having an owner and a GM and a, and a head coach that are all on the same page is enormous.
1: Absolutely, John. And this is something that, to be honest, I have been calling for since 2015. If you go back to 2015. That is when the giants basically, you know, shoved Tom Coughlin out the door. They took his key card away whatever, however you want (laughs) to, however you want to, you want to call it, you know, they, they build it as a resignation, but they shoved him out the door Mm -hmm. And, and whether they should have done that or not. I felt like that was a perfect opportunity for a reset in Tom Coughlin's in the goodbye press conference. Co-owner John Mara stood up in front of us and he said, you know, we're, we're relieving Tom Coughlin of the coaching duties, but this mess that we're in is not Tom Coughlin's fault. This mess that we're in is on the GM because of the talent base that our coaching staff has been operating with. And yet they kept the GM. They kept the quarterback at that point in Eli Manning and tried to, and tried for three or four more years w- with Eli. I felt like that was the perfect opportunity if you're going to push Tom Coughlin out, if you're going to blame the GM, let's blow the whole thing up at this point and start over. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. Um, They didn't do that when they brought in Joe Judge. They had an opportunity to fire Dave Gettleman at that point in time and chose not to. So this, for the first time in a long time for me, feels like a complete reset, and I think that's another reason why Giants fans are optimistic. It's something that they've wanted for a while.
0: Let's talk about the players on the field, and this raised my eyebrow. I saw this this morning as I was looking through some of the some of the timeline and uh, looking at some of the the Giants Google news, and uh, Brian Dable saying Tyrod Taylor is going to get some first team reps at quarterback. Also signaling that he hasn't lost confidence in Daniel Jones, uh, that he still believes in Daniel Jones as the starter, and that this doesn't have anything to do with whether or not he's dissatisfied in Daniel Jones or not. Two questions. A, do you buy that? And two, how has Jones looked so far this summer?
1: Well, let me take the second question first. Jones has been up and down. It's been a very difficult camp for the Giants offense they're installing a very complicated passing attack that has a lot of of option routes in it wide receivers had a lot have have a lot of choices about which way they might break how they might get to their route um, you know how they might react based on the coverage that that's being provided by the defense there have been a lot of miscommunications there has been You know where where you'll see incompletions there have been times when jones has been hesitant maybe not sure of what he's seeing or what he's going to get from the wide receiver there have been times when he's just plain been downright inaccurate and maybe again that's that's a lack of trust and not being sure where his wide receiver is going to be and some of it is just a bad throw here and there you know all of that said I'm just not going to base any any sort of judgment on Daniel Jones on what we see in practice here in the first few weeks of training camp. We'll see what happens when the regular season starts, but it hasn't been hasn't been a great start for the Giants offensively there's a lot of optimism cuz they they're using a lot more motion they're doing a lot more things they Wandale robinson looks like an exciting young player saquon barkley appears to be healthy so there's optimism on those fronts but but it's a work in progress in terms of of developing the whole piece now as for the whole tyrod taylor thing that's a great headline you know oh my god tyrod taylor's going to get first team reps it's a great headline. It's it's one of those things that the fan base will attach itself to. Those guys who who want Daniel Jones out. But for me, this was a non-story. Brian Dable said, "Absolutely not." Was this any sort of indication, you know, that that he was ready to, or that he didn't have faith in Daniel Jones and all of that? He he phrased this in a way that. What he wants to do at some point in training camp is in the middle of a drill where Jones is running the first team offense, he wants to insert Tyrod Taylor, you know, without telling Jones it was going to happen, without telling Taylor it was going to happen. And what he said is that's a backup quarterback's job is to be ready, you know, at a moment's notice, to be Mm -hmm. ready to take the next snap if something happens. And basically, he was saying he wants to simulate that sort of a situation he wasn't saying we're looking at tyrod taylor you know as the possible week one starting quarterback now is the leash long for daniel jones i don't know but but there is a leash there's no guarantee that while there is a guarantee i think that he starts week one and starts the season there's no guarantee that he finishes the season as the quarterback I don't know if a change would happen six weeks in, twelve weeks in, but there, there's no guarantee. A lot of uh, what this season is about is Brian Dable and Joe Shane making the determination if uh, you know whether or not they can go forward with Jones.
0: Sure. And that's the big question for the Giants. And it's, frankly, the big question for the Eagles. And it's a big question for the Commanders, really. Any any team not named the Dallas Cowboys in this division, uh, this is a very important year for for their quarterback situation. Um, As you've been watching these guys in camp, I know you've been down in practices, uh, taking it all in. What do you think has been the strongest position group for the Giants so far here this summer?
1: Oh, the strongest position group, it's really a two-person position group. It's Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams on the middle of that defensive line. Those two guys have been absolute wrecking balls the entire training camp. Um, Those two guys, they've been dominant inside. Dexter Lawrence has been terrific. Leonard Williams has been terrific. I think those two guys are are pointed toward, uh, toward terrific seasons. I think that there are some interesting competitions across the roster. Running back is one. Um probably the edge defenders is another one where with Kayvon Thibodeau and Azizo Gelari and a couple of other young players, they've got some depth. Yeah, but there are still a lot of holes and a lot of question marks on this roster.
0: Well, let's talk about a couple of those. Like what do you think is the weakest positional group or or the, the... The spots uh, on the Giants that really need the most work right now.
1: Well, it's interesting because Joe Shane has said several times that, hey, you know, in a couple of weeks, there's going to be 1,300 players who are out of jobs. Yeah. And I'm guessing that, that a handful of those guys are going to wind up as New York Giants. They need help at cornerback. You know, after because you know, James Bradbury's obviously an Eagle now. Yeah. Thanks to looking
0: very good in the summertime here so far.
1: Yeah. He he's a good player. He may not in in all honesty, he may not be the perfect wink Martindale cornerback because he's not a guy who can chase wide receivers one on one all over the field all the time and consistently win those matchups. He'll get burned by speed sometimes. But he's a good player. He's a smart player in zone defenses. He's he's excellent. You know he he's a big loss for the Giants and a big gain for the Eagles. There's no doubt about that. But the Giants are reasonably happy with their starters at corner: Adoree Jackson, Aaron Robinson, Darnay Holmes. They have no depth behind them at all. Uh, I have no idea what they're going to do at, uh, at at tight end. Other than, other than rookie Daniel Bellinger, I also have, have no idea how the, uh, how the backup offensive line is, is going to shape up. I think the Giants are okay with the, with the starters that, that they have on the offensive line, but that's another area where I think they'll try to supplement.
0: Are there any players in particular in camp who are surprising you that could actually make an impact on the Giants roster in 2022? Because I know every summer there are these guys, the fifth-string wide receiver, the guys who are battling for the last spot. You're like, oh, this guy's having a great camp. Oh, this guy looks really good. And then they just – you never hear from them during the regular season. But is there anybody on the, on the roster that you've been particularly impressed by who you think has a chance to make a real impact uh, in the regular season?
1: Well, this is another interesting one, John, because – there's been a lot of gnashing of teeth about Kenny Galladay, about the Giants' seventy-two million dollar man, yeah. who who didn't manage to be one of the two hundred and seventy-eight NFL players who caught a receiving touchdown in twenty twenty-one. It's incredible. <laughs> it, it 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 is very incredible. Um, but what is what's interesting among the guys that you might you might say were bottom of the roster guys or guys who you weren't sure we're going to make the roster. Maybe when training camp began, third-year wide receiver Colin Johnson, six foot six, two hundred and twenty-pound guy, and has actually been taking away some of Galladay's reps over the last week or two. Had a very, very impressive camp so far. I think he caught seven passes in the preseason game, and obviously preseason numbers and all of that. They don't mean anything when it comes to the regular season, but Johnson's an intriguing guy, who has that size and that strength, and and, and can do some of the things that the Giants are expecting and paying Kenny Galladay to do. So he he's one to uh, he's one to keep an eye on. How has this
0: training camp—you mentioned just a little bit ago uh, that the Giants, the Giants are installing a very complicated offense with Brian Dayball here. He obviously comes from a system in a, a place in New York, up in Buffalo, uh, where they did things a certain way. I, I would guess that the the vibe at training camp, just among, among the players and the team, that is different from the Joe Judge era. So how, how has this training camp under Dayball— been different from the training camps that joe judge ran
1: well joe judge and brian dable are vastly different personalities joe judge is a very buttoned up very very tight very sort of you know my way or the highway sort of uh mini bill belichick type guy seems like an
0: unpleasant fella ed is if i could be i be that for you
1: I liked Joe, I liked Joe Judge as a person. I mean, I had some decent interactions with Joe. I I thought that that Joe wanted to win and wanted to do well, but a little bit like the Ben McAdoo experiment as Giants head coach back in 2016 and 17. In retrospect, it was way too early for Joe Judge to be a head coach. He wasn't ready. There's mm-hmm. there's um there's it's just a more relaxed atmosphere around Brian Dable. it's it's there there isn't as much tension guys seem looser guys seem happier uh, and, and that's you know who knows how it's all going going to play out but but that's the way I look at it right now is that it just seems like like there's it's not as uptight around the giants with, with Dayball as as it was with, with joe judge and and hopefully you know guys guys will say things like you know we're just being allowed to play and, and and i think there was a lot with joe of guys looking over their shoulders and and worrying about making mistakes more than more than just Playing football and, and and seeing what would happen, and I Sounds apologize like, for that yeah. uh, for that phone in the background there. I'm I'm sitting in my living room and yeah. and the phone no. decided to go off. Sorry no, about that. Well,
0: no, you had a spam caller there. That's why they didn't leave a message for you. No, that's it's totally cool. Uh, totally, I, we've all been there for sure. It's probably somebody trying to you know get you to um, take care of your car insurance or uh, you know your warranty's about to expire. So sure, uh, sell me an know, island. I, th- I feel like you missed an opportunity there, buddy. Um, <laughs> So last question for you though, is is there a path for the Giants to make the playoffs this season that you can see?
1: Well, listen, I'm not going to sit here and predict it. But there's always a path of some sort. I mean, the let's let's the let's be real. The Giants won 4 games a year ago. They won 6 games the year before that. They've lost double-digit games now 5 years in a row. So no one can sit here and say I expect them to be good. You know what you hope is that they look competent. You hope that they win 7 games, maybe 8 games, that they look like they're making progress, that they look like there are some some core pieces on both sides of the ball that they can go forward with. But when you when you look at it, the Giants don't have an incredibly difficult schedule. I don't have uh, I don't have the the, the schedule power rankings in front of me, but I know that the Giants' schedule is considered to be one of the, one of the easier ones yeah. in the NFL. Well,
0: the four NFC East teams all have the easiest four schedules in the, in the NFL this year. So I don't know.
1: Well, that yeah. stinks. Why can't the giants just catch a break? Why can't the rest <laughs> of you guys have hard schedules and, you know, give the giants a break. We deserve because one. We don't all play we
0: each other. We all stink. We all play each other. I think but, that's, that's honestly where it is.
1: But I, I think I think I think the path involves, you know winning winning some games against some of these sub500 teams that will be on the Giants schedule, you know, winning a handful of of NFC East games. I go back to Sean McDermott's first year in Buffalo when they started to rebuild since the Giants are are such a comparison to Buffalo these days. The bills, I think went nine and seven that first year and snuck into the playoffs they regressed in that second year and you would normally think it would go the other way where it would be a building process but but to me that's that's the path maybe you get to nine wins maybe you get to ten wins and you sneak in as a wild card i am in no way shape or form going to predict that
0: sure
1: but but that's the path is Saquon Barkley has a really good year. Wandale Robinson has a really good year. Jones is at least competent. I think the offensive line is better. The the defense with Wink Martindale will wreak havoc. And I don't know if it'll be a, a top ten defense, a top five defense, but there should be games where they create some turnovers and take advantage of some things. Mm-hmm. And, and and to me that's that's the path is 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 winning some games against some of these lesser teams and sneaking in at, at, at nine and eight or 10 and seven and something like that. And like I said, I, in in no way would I ever predict it, but, uh, yeah, but you gotta be optimistic, don't you? Sure. At this time of year in the summertime, everybody's an
0: optimistic NFL fan, and for Giants fans, I mean, all they gotta do is look at what the Philadelphia Eagles did last year. They were a four win team going into last season under a first year head coach with a quarterback nobody was sure of, and they took advantage of an easy schedule, played well enough against the bad teams, made the playoffs and set themselves and, up for what I think is gonna be an even better year this year. But
1: And that yeah. is actually John, that is actually the template, to be yeah. honest with you. That's yeah. the template. You know, four wins to sneaking Fortnite. in with yeah. sneaking in with a with a surprising you know with a surprising season and uh you know you you hope that you hope uh you know from the Giants perspective you hope they can duplicate that and and you hope that that uh you know Jalen Hurts remembers that he's Jalen Hurts.
0: (laughs) I mean, that's the thing for the Giants to do this. One of the either the Cowboys or Giants needs to I mean, Cowboys or uh, Eagles needs to falter this year. And uh, and that's part of it. Sometimes you have an injury that happens. You know, we saw that with Dak a couple of seasons ago. You just you just don't know. So, I mean, there's a path for every team that struggled the previous season to make the playoffs. And I think you laid it out pretty well. What, what needs to happen for the Giants in order for that to happen this season. And it's not out of the realm of possibility, as we all experienced last year as Eagles fans. Listen, folks, for everything that's going on with the New York Giants so that you can keep an eye on the enemy, make sure you're reading SB Nation's Big Blue View, listening to the podcast with Ed Valentine over there, and follow all of his work on Twitter at Valentine underscore Ed. Ed, thanks so much for coming on Eye on the Enemy again. I appreciate it, bud.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, and we'll, uh, we'll do this again.
0: Alright folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. I want to make sure you guys are continuing to hit BleedingGreenNation.com each and every day for the latest news and notes and rumors and recaps of these preseason games and these joint practices the Eagles are having right now during the course of the next few weeks leading up to week one. And uh, check out all of the Bleeding Green Nation podcasts. We've got a ton of content coming your way over these uh, next few weeks. We've really been churning it out pretty much every day since training camp started. So um, if you can't catch one, down Download it. Listen to it later. It's going to be good stuff, and uh, it's just good to keep your, your ear on the grindstone and uh, know what's going on in Eagles camp. And pay attention to this podcast in particular because I'll keep you up to date on everything going on around the NFL, and once we get into the regular season, week-by-week week previews and uh, behind the scene, a behind-the-scenes look at what each of the Eagles opponents are doing each and every week. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I'll talk to you next week here on I on the Enemy.
1: G